Hey, good morning. I'm glad to see you guys. So here's the problem. On Sundays when, when I'm worship, we're doing a worship leader, sometimes you'll miss a verse of a song. Apparently that happened. Didn't know. <laughs> we'll get John back up here just as soon as we can. <laughs> John will not miss verses. I am excited to have you with us this morning for the gathering of Recreate Church, where our motto is, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. And we mean that. Does it, do, will we always get it right? No. But we're sure going to try. That's what we're aiming at. I'm excited to, to talk to you about the Word of God. But first, everybody's favorite subject, math. You like math. Who likes math? Wave at me if you like math. Wave at me if math can, can go catch a train or something. Yeah, get out of here, math. Okay, this one, this one, I, like, I didn't used to like math because, like, I didn't have the motivation, okay? I never made good grades in math when I was in elementary, middle, and high school. Got into college, had to take a math class. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. And then it was like practical math, like the two trains going different directions that pe most people don't like. I liked that. It was the other stuff I didn't like, so I did good at that. But here's math. All right, here's math for you. Tough one. Take a deep breath. Say a little prayer. That's what I did before I did math in school. Say a little prayer. As long as there are math tests in school, there will always be prayer in school. Just be sure of that. One plus one equals? Is that a little hard for some of y'all? Okay, let's try it again. One plus one equals two. One plus one equals two. Right? Gary's got it. I got it. One plus one equals two. If we kept asking the same question, one plus one equals would we always get the same answer? Yeah, maybe. Oh, we'll see. You sure? What if, what if last time we added one plus one was a long time ago? Like years ago. Or what if, what if you're, it's a really confusing time right now? Will one plus one still equal two? What, what if things have changed a lot since you last added one plus one? What if things are really stressful right now? What if your anxiety is through the roof and nothing in life makes sense and life is just not adding up? Will one plus one still equal two then? What if your whole future depends on the answer? Are you absolutely sure that one plus one equals two? Now you're worried that I'm playing a trick on you. But I'm not. However, what if we, what if, what if we were worried and saying, what? Well, I know that 1 plus 1 equals 2, and it always has, but what if this time we add 1 plus 1 and it equals 0? Hmm. Is that silly? Yeah, 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 okay. It's a little ridiculous. And yet sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes it's like that. We're in the middle of something confusing or frustrating, and there, there isn't enough time, there isn't enough money, there's too much pressure on us. We don't have the energy... Anybody in like 30s, 40s, and above know what I'm talking about? Not enough energy. And uh, some of y'all laughed and said, I wish I was still in my 30s and 40s. The energy is just not there. When, it, when people who you should have counted on have let you down, when you, when you just can't, when it, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to work out, and we, the one plus one is we know God cares, and he, God cares about us, 
but it can seem it can be difficult to see how it adds up. Like, I know I should believe that God cares about me. He is going to get me through this. I should know one plus one should equal two, but it doesn't feel that way. When life is kicking you around, it's hard to recognize what you need to do to go forward. It's hard to be objective when you're in the middle of mess. You ever met anybody who really wasn't objective about their situation? They were in the middle of a situation, but they couldn't see the truth of it. Okay, you ever had anybody you care about who was, say, in a bad relationship with somebody and didn't kind of understand that this is not a healthy thing you got going? You know, someone who's dating someone who is uh, incompatible, controlling, emotionally abusive, but the person in the relationship couldn't see it, and it's just bad. It's bad for them. Everybody can see those two don't belong together. As Taylor Swift said, she wears short skirts, I wear T-shirts. She's your captain. I'm sitting on the bleachers. It's going to let that ruminate a second. I know that was a risky joke. The three Taylor Swift fans appreciate me for that. And the rest of y'all, you'll find something else to like in this, this thing. Is it hot in here? Is it hot in here? Okay. We fixed that. I, didn't, I thought it was just my bad jokes. Okay. I'm very grateful for my wife who knows how to operate the thermostat. And if it gets too cold in here, I know y'all won't be mad at her because she's a sweetie pie. Y'all be mad at me. Okay, so, oh, how about this? How about the small child who cannot understand why an adult has the audacity to offer them ice cream that is, get this, cold. Cold ice cream. How barbaric. Elijah, they didn't know I was talking about you until you said something, son. You, you just outed yourself on that. Cold ice cream. The humanity of that. How dare you? Everybody else knows cold ice cream. Ice cream's going to be cold. One plus one equals two. It's obvious. The answer is obvious. It's easy to see how it adds up when you're on the outside looking in or you're looking back on something. You can always look back and see what you should have done, right? I do that all the time. Try not to dwell on that. But when you're in the middle of it, life is confusing. Uh, when you're facing a crisis, when people are being hurtful, when something's missing, when things are stressful, when life is messy, when life just doesn't add up. Well, in today's episode in the life of Jesus, as told by Mark, we're going to explore one of the biggest miracles nobody's ever heard of. It's amazing, but it falls through the cracks. And we're going to see the 12 disciples in that situation where they can't see that one plus one equals two, um, where um, they're in the middle of it and they've they're worried though they've seen miracles they know jesus cares a miracle is needed but it looks like they they can't imagine another miracle coming you'll hear the story and you're like oh obviously we know what jesus is going to do like you ever watch a movie and you see how it's going to end and you're like oh i bet this is what's going to happen well this is very obvious in this story it's going to be very obvious what's going to happen except the people in the story don't understand Jesus is going to ask them, how is it that you don't understand this? And maybe he probably looks down at us sometimes and says, you've seen me do this. You've seen me do this. One plus one equals two. How is it that you do not understand that I care about you, that I'm there for you, that it's going to be okay? So maybe this will help us when we don't understand our life when we can't see how it adds up. And here's the kind of core thought here. I think we got, um, if you will put it up on the screen, there's a core thought here for this 
this whole message, when life doesn't add up, look up. When life doesn't add up, look up. That is to say, look to Jesus for the answer. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. It goes like this. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to him, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I send them away hung. If I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him and almost sounds a little snarky here. How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks and he broke them and gave them to his disciples and sat before them and they sat them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish and having blessed them, he set them, uh, said to set them before them also. So they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away. I'm going to stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, please speak to us right now. Speak to us that we might be able to learn to see how it adds up while we're still in the middle of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been around church for a while, or, or maybe if you were here with us several, I'm not sure how long ago we were, a couple chapters in Mark ago, however long ago that was, you'll recognize this story sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus multiplying fish and bread and feeding a bunch of people. Yes, just a couple chapters ago in Mark chapter 6, we saw Jesus feed a multitude of 5,000 plus people. It was said 5,000 men. That was not including women and children. So we might say 15,000 people that he fed. He fed that day. And here he is, another miraculous feeding event where he's feeding 4,000 people. And they're so similar that some people say, hey, maybe that's just the same story told a different way. And uh, maybe they're just retelling the same event but i don't think so there's good reasons to believe these are two separate miracles of multiplication all right in the first miracle two chapters ago jesus fed five thousand plus right maybe fifteen thousand in this miracle we see him feeding four thousand and that there does not in that four thousand number does not seem to exclude the women and kids that time Different location. Last time it was near Bethsaida. This time it's in Decapolis. Different amounts of bread and fish. How many loaves of bread in the first miracle? How many loaves of bread in the second miracle? How many fish in the first miracle? Two. How many fish in the second miracle? It's a strict question. It says a few small ones. A few small fish. We don't really have an actual number. Different amounts of leftovers. Somebody impressed me with your Bible trivia. How many baskets of leftovers in the feeding of the 5,000 plus? Twelve. One. Every one of the 12 disciples got a Long John Silver's carryout box with hush puppies and fish in it. How many in this miracle here? You said it. You said it a second ago. How many, how many leftover baskets in the feeding of the 4,000? Seven. I heard somebody say it over here. Seven. Two gospel writers include both events. Mark and Matthew both include these separate events. And most importantly, Jesus speaks, to them, speaks of them as different events. So yeah, feeding of the 5,000 people have heard of, 5,000 plus. It overshadows the feeding of the 4,000. And that's a shame 
that people haven't heard of this one because this one has some different features, especially who was here. This took place outside of Israel over in Gentile territory, I believe in what would, I think that is in the territory of the nation of Jordan now. I think that's where this takes place, where it would be now. It's over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, like the southeast side. This was Gentile territory. Most of these people were not Jewish people. They were outsiders from the family of God. Understand this. Jesus brings the outsiders in. Have you ever felt like an outsider? Yes, I have. I was talking to someone important to me yesterday, and they were telling me how, how um, you know, her son was kind of struggling to find their place and, and knew that I had some of the same struggles when I was growing up. And, and I said, he, they said, I'm glad you were able to find your place. And I'm like, I thought about it for a second. And I was like, you know, I don't think I did find it. I think I had to make it. And thank you all for being a part of it. This gets to be my place, you know. This is the family that I fit into. That's the way it is sometimes. You don't always find your place. You have to make your place. And, and Jesus, he is, He's all for that. He is making a place. He's making a family. He brings the outsiders in. If you ever feel like an outsider, an outcast, someone who does not fit, the family of God is where the misfits fit. Remember the old story, old uh, Rudolph claymation from a million years ago? And they went to the Island of Misfit Toys. That's us, y'all. We're the Island of Misfit Toys. Isabel calls the cowboy that rides the ostrich. There was a cowboy that was a... You don't remember? we have to go back and watch that. Okay, so anyway, the last time Jesus passed through this area, he caused kind of a ruckus. If ruckus is a big enough word, do you use the word ruckus on a daily basis? I don't know. I think I will now. Ruckus. I like the sound of it. He calls a ruckus. So Jesus causes a ruckus in the following way. Last time he came through here, he met a man who was afflicted by maybe thousands of evil spirits. Thousands of evil spirits had taken over this man. Horrible, horrible, pitiful situation. And Jesus just kicks the evil spirits out of this man and they go into this huge herd of pigs. I mean, what a story. People who say the Bible's boring ain't read that stuff. Did you read about the day Jesus put a bunch of devils out of a man into a bunch of pigs that was the original deviled ham dip because they dipped in the sea? This is, this is not a boring book. I don't know what part you're reading. You're reading like the list of genealogies. So-and-so begat so-and-so. And there's a story there too. Um, I don't know where you went with that, Matt. I'm just not following that line of thought. There's, there's, it's an exciting book. Exciting book. But the last time he was in town, he did kind of decimate the local economy. And you would think, and, and they asked him, can you please leave before you, before you put any more pigs in the sea? They asked him to leave. But this time he comes through, and at least some people have thought, wait a minute, this guy's a miracle worker. Let's bring some people out for him to heal. And, and last week we talked about how they brought a man who was deaf and could not speak to Jesus and Jesus healed him and then lots more people are like coming to this man and they want to see more about this Jesus. So now in this story, thousands of people are flocking to him instead of running away and, and asking him to leave. Now they're just crowding and crowding in and it's Gentile territory. This isn't like he's in Israel. These are people who don't really have that historical connection to the family of God and then they're coming to Jesus they want to be a, they want to hear what he has to say and and they're so 
in tune with what he's saying that everything else melts away. Do you ever get in what's called a flow state where you're doing something that you enjoy and you're so into it that you forget to eat? Or you forget, I mean, that's like a big deal for me, forgetting to eat. Um, you're, you're not feeling hungry. You're not feeling thirsty. Maybe it's when you're doing something creative. Or for me, it's when I'm in my workshop. Like um, Katie for Mother's Day wanted me to build a gate for our porch. And I got up and I took a bottle of water out there. I always take one everywhere and set it on my workbench. And, but I got into building that gate. And let me tell you, the amount of repent, times I had to repent while I was building that gate. Because some of my equipment tore up. But I was so into it that I forgot my bottle of water entirely. We get into that state. Well, these people are so into the teaching of Jesus, they're not even thinking about being hungry or thirsty until they're a few days into it. And three days they have sat out there with Jesus as he's teaching and these people have had, it says nothing to eat. Maybe they had a few crackers in their pocket. I don't know. But they've virtually gone without food for three days here. And they are about to faint. Um, I love that they were so hungry for the Word of God that food didn't matter anymore. That's amazing. That's good stuff. So Jesus has compassion on them. And He turns to the disciples and said, These people need something to eat. And the disciples looked back at him and said, more or less, um, how are we supposed to do that? How do we feed people out here in the wilderness? What, what do you want us to do about it? It seems just a little bit, a little bit snippy. Maybe the disciples hadn't had much to eat for the last few days either. Do you have anybody in your life that gets hangry? Do you understand what I mean when I say hangry? Please don't elbow or point right now when they get hungry they get a little angry these are normally very wonderful people um, but you need to have like a granola bar in your pocket at all times and you you see it happening and don't say are you hungry say hey i found this in my pocket don't say are you hungry because they're going to say oh is that your way of saying that i'm angry right now no you just kind of poke the granola bar at them and try not to lose a finger that's what you do so maybe they're getting a little hangry, I don't know. But I am a little confused by their response. They have 4,000 people to feed. Is it a new thing for Jesus to feed a bunch of people? What has happened just months or maybe a year before this? Jesus fed 5,000 plus people, probably more like 15,000 people, with just a little bit of food. And now there's 4,000 people, probably not 4,000 plus, just 4,000 people, and they need to be fed. What We would expect the disciples to be like, one plus one equals two. This adds up. Okay, I know what we'll do. Let's go to Jesus and say, hey, hey, boss. Hey, remember the last time you fed those five or maybe 15,000 people with five loaves and, and two fish? Well, we've only got... 4,000 people to feed this time, and we got seven loaves. So we have like almost double the amount of loaves, or a couple more loaves. Uh, see, I told you I wasn't great at math. Um, we have a couple more loaves than we did last time. We don't have to split it as many ways. Hey, this is no problem, right, boss? But we don't see that. They don't seem to give any indication that they remember what Jesus did before. They act like they have forgotten how the Lord bailed them out last time. They act like they've forgotten one plus one 
They cannot see it. They're looking at the problem. But remember what I'm telling you, the heart of this message is when life doesn't add up, look up. When life doesn't add up, look up. They were looking at the problem and saying, feeding people in the wilderness, come on. When they had the Son of God with them, they should have looked up. That is to say, look to Jesus for the answer. But they, they didn't. Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. He says, okay, guys, what have you got? And they managed to come up with seven loaves. Make everybody sit down. And he broke the bread, and he blessed it, and he gave the bread. They, the disciples distributed the bread and the fish to everyone. So this is a really cool miracle, right? Feeding 4,000 with a very small amount of food. And he did it again. You know, he, it was so close to that previous miracle. He did it another time. Jesus can miraculously multiply provision. Understand that in your life, I very much feel the feeling of, of being worried that you're not going to have enough to meet your obligations. We know that feeling. Just a few short years ago, it was tough, 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 tough in the Shockley house. We know what it's like. But I will tell you this. Every single time the Lord multiplied whatever little bit and he met the needs in ways that we never expected and we get to tell great stories about it and the amazing thing is you want to see miracles from the Lord. Most of the time you don't see miracles until you're in a desperate situation. So understand, there's a trade-off there. Desperation is when you see the miracle, usually. You don't usually see a miracle when everything's going super good because you don't even know you need one. It's when you know you need one. So they couldn't remember. this. The most important part of this miracle isn't that Jesus multiplied the food. We've seen him do that. It's The most interesting thing is that the disciples didn't seem to remember the previous miracle. They did not seem to remember how Jesus had come through that for them before. You could see it, right? You knew what was about to happen, sure. But they couldn't see it. It didn't add up. So Jesus sends the crowd away, and he and the disciples get in the boat, and they sail across to Dalmanutha on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they're back in Israel now among their own people. Now, Maybe you remember, if you've been hanging with us through this study, the, one of the reasons that Jesus left uh, Israel in the first place and did this ministry tour through Gentile territory, it's because the Pharisees just kept on bugging him. The Pharisees were the most prominent religious leaders in Israel. They were respected and admired by most people because they were known as being extra, super, double-decker religious okay they kept all the religious rules they looked right they dressed right they said the right things they did the right things at least according to their interpretation jesus called them out and said you like following the religious rules made up by man but you're ignoring the commands of god you like looking very very spiritual but you don't know how to treat people have you met people who were very religious but could not treat people right they acted like they didn't know the lord when it comes to how they treat people well the pharisees were like that and um the Pharisees came to Jesus and they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign to prove that he was from God. And Jesus refused. Why did he refuse? Well, he's not, going, he's not a performer. He's not just a miracle worker. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And they had seen his miracles he's been doing miracles the whole time and they've witnessed his miracles and some of the criticisms that the pharisees had about jesus 
were over his miracles because they didn't like the day that he did miracles. They said, oh, you're doing miracles on the Sabbath day. We don't like it. So they'd seen miracles. It's not like one more miracle would convince them. They already refused to believe, and no amount of evidence would soften their hearts. Jesus just got back from seeing thousands of Gentiles turn to the truth, but the spiritual leaders among his own people rejected the truth. He said in Luke 16 that if someone, this is a, this is a paraphrase, that if someone has made up their mind against believing, they won't believe even if they see someone rise from the dead, which is like a top-tier miracle. And that is exactly the sort of miracle that this story is heading towards. Mark chapter 8 is the midpoint of this gospel. And from here on out, the pace picks up and it is a race to the cross. It is a race to the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's where we're going here. And he is going to demonstrate this ultimate miracle of laying down his life and then rising again. And they still won't believe. A hard heart will not believe even when there's evidence. So they get back in the boat again. They like crossing the Sea of Galilee. They get back in the ministry boat again, and they sail across to Bethsaida, which is on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. <coughs> Here's what gets interesting again. You would think that after dealing with all those hungry people out in the wilderness that the disciples would remember to bring some food on the boat. What happened to the seven baskets of Long John Silver's leftovers? Where's the hush puppies? I don't know. Did they eat them all? Did they give them away? I don't know, but they get on this boat. And then they realize, hold on. Did anyone get the food? They realize, hey, Andrew, Andrew, did you remember to go to Falafel City and pick up some bologna and bread? No, 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 no. Philip was supposed to do that. And Philip says, no, Matthew, Matthew said he would. He's got a discount card to Falafel City. And he can get it cheaper. And Matthew's like, no, no. Wait, it's, it's Bartholomew's turn. It's not mine. And Bartholomew's like, ah, snap. Yep. I was supposed to, but I forgot. But I think James has some food. James, you still got that Bojangles biscuit in your back pocket? Yeah, why? We gonna need it because it's all we got. Okay. I understand. It didn't go like that exactly. That's a little artistic license. But they realized they had not brought any food. They were going on an all-day trip across the Sea of Galilee, and they have got one loaf of bread to split between them, and this was not a big loaf. Don't imagine like a big loaf of sandwich bread. Imagine like something about twice the size of a biscuit, like a really big dinner roll. So the disciples are arguing how they're going to split a Bojangles biscuit 13 ways and make it work. They're worried about it. What had they just seen? What had they just seen? The last time they were on that side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus fed how many thousands of people? 4,000 with seven loaves of bread. And now they've only got 13 to feed and there's one loaf. I think the math is in the favor. And they don't even think about that though. They're, they're looking at each other. They're looking at that one little sad crumbly Bojangles biscuit. And they're not looking where they should be looking. Where should they be looking? To Jesus. When life doesn't add up, look up. Sounds very simplistic, doesn't it? But 
does everything have to be that complicated? Well, life doesn't add up. Look up. Look to Jesus. So Jesus hears them having their little whispered conversation, and he speaks up. Check out verse 15. I think that's in there separately. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So the disciples kind of blink at each other and try to figure out, what does he mean by that? Some of you who are bakers, I assume there are bakers among us. What is leaven? You know what leaven is? Leaven is yeast. Yeast is used to make bread rise. It's an ingredient in, in bread. Um, they connected the mention of leaven with bread. What did they forget to bring? Bread. And they hear Jesus referring to leaven, and they're like, oh, he's kind of like in a, in a roundabout way calling us out because we forgot to bring bread, and that's why he's mentioning leaven. And they probably began to argue again, say, hi, Lord, this is how it was supposed to do. You know, Bar- it was supposed to be Bartholomew's turn, but he thought Matthew was going to get, you know, so forth, so forth. And Jesus just stopped them right there. And listen to what he says in verse 17 through 21. But Jesus, being aware of it, he knows what's going on. He said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? You do, not, do you not yet perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? Ooh, that had to sting a little. Is your heart still hardened? That's a rhetorical question. We'll come back to that. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Remember what? The miracles they had just seen about multiplication. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of full fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? One plus one equals two. But when you're in the middle of the struggle, it's hard to see that. So when Jesus is referring to the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, he's not talking about bread. We know that. In the scriptures, leaven or yeast is symbolic, usually in a negative way. You see it a lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, leaven is often, but not always, a symbol of sin. It's like a little bit of yeast will make this whole big batch of dough rise. It works its way through. And a little bit of sin that you let in your life will work its way through. And it will change who you are and in, in not in a good way. So this leaven, well, what is the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod? What, what is that little bit of bad stuff in them that really takes over? What could these two possibly have in common? The Pharisees are top-tier religious leaders. Herod, this is Herod Antipas, he is a ruler under Rome. What do they have in common? You wouldn't think anything. Except maybe something. The Pharisees have been hearing Jesus teach this whole time. But have they believed? No. They refused to believe, even in the face of evidence. Herod heard the truth from John the Baptist many times. But he refused to believe. And there it is. There's the connection. Both Herod and the Pharisees refused to believe even when the evidence was in front of them. They were united in their hard-heartedness. Their hearts were hard. Remember one of the questions that Jesus asked the disciples when he's explaining this. He said, are your, are your hearts hard? Are your hearts hard? Jesus asked the the 
12 and verse 17. Don't you see? Don't you hear? Don't you remember what you've experienced? Are your hearts still hard? That had to hurt a bit for the disciples. But it's a, it's a heavy question. But it's a fair question. They have seen Jesus feed 5,000 plus with five loaves of bread. They have seen Jesus feed 4,000 with seven loaves of bread. And now they're stressing that they've only got one loaf of bread to feed 13 people. If he could multiply resources for thousands, why are they worried about something so small? So Jesus said, how is it that you don't understand? And I wonder if he ever looks down at me as I'm fretting over something, as the next thing happens, as I'm at work and things are going weird. And he says, Michael, how is it that you don't understand? I've took you through so much. You've seen it again and again. Why don't you understand that one plus one equals two? Jesus wanted them to draw the conclusion from the miracles they have seen. If he could feed thousands with one kid's lunch, he could meet all their needs. But did they ask him? No. They were arguing among themselves. They didn't look to Jesus. They looked at each other. They looked around. They looked at the problem. They didn't look up. When life doesn't add up, don't look around. Don't look down. Don't even look within. That's kind of a lie of our modern culture. Just look within. All the answers are within you. Really? Hadn't worked so far. Look up. The scripture doesn't tell us how this episode ended. So we really, we don't know. We don't know if the disciples put one and one together and got two. And did they ask Jesus to multiply that one single loaf? Or was it one long, awkward, hangry boat ride across the Sea of Galilee with the disciples thumb wrestling over who gets to eat the Bojangles biscuit? Did they figure it out or not? We don't know. Here's what we do know about the disciples. Jesus asked them if they were hard-hearted like the Pharisees and Herod. With the exception of Judas Iscariot, they weren't hard-hearted. They weren't closed off to the truth. They wanted to understand the truth, but they just didn't get it yet. There's a big difference between somebody who wants to understand and believe and someone who's made up their mind against believing. They didn't understand yet, but they would. Understanding was coming. These guys would understand Jesus so much better that after the resurrection, they would get to the point where nothing could intimidate them. They would become heroes and champions of the faith who would fearlessly proclaim Jesus to the world. And the Scriptures don't tell us what happened to all of them, but church history suggests that all of them became missionaries and went into different parts of the world. And all of them died for their faith fearlessly, with the exception of John, who they tried to kill and couldn't. And he lived out his days and, and died as an old man after writing the book of Revelation there at the end of the Scriptures. Now what about us? Has God done things for us? Can you look back on your life and even see something small that the Lord has done for you? Some time where maybe things really should have went bad but you were spared or, or maybe times when you were so low and you got lifted up or maybe... God sent somebody your way who was able to encourage you in the depths or where there was a need that you didn't think could be met and somehow he met it. Do you see things like that? If you're, if you're paying attention, it's happened. 
There's a God who cares about you even if you don't care about Him, even if you don't acknowledge His existence. He cares about you. And He's there for you. We've seen some miracles. And yet, when the next thing comes along, when the next struggle comes, when the bill is due again, we get a little uncomfortable. Ah, I don't know. One plus one equal two this whole time. I don't know about this time. One plus one might not equal two this time. We worry. We worry that he won't bless our one little biscuit. But you give it to him and he will. Listen, life won't always add up. It won't. Life will be confusing. Life will be painful. And the Lord does not promise that life will always make sense or be easy. If anyone has told you that the Lord promises you an easy life, they are reading a very different Bible than the one I'm familiar with. But when life doesn't add up, look up. Jesus has got your back. Trust Him. Look to Him. Will everything be easy? No, I already said that. But the Lord will provide. Look up to Him. It begins when you trust in Jesus as your Savior. And I cannot overemphasize the truth that every single person needs to go to the Lord and be saved and confess that they're a sinner and that they need Jesus and need this new life that Jesus offers. And I think we're just going to close up in a prayer about that right now. If you need to pray like this, if you need to pray and be saved and receive the life that Jesus has given, you can pray like this. Father in heaven, I need you. I know I have messed up. I know I have sinned. I need to be forgiven. I believe Jesus is my Savior who gave His life for me. I want to give my life to Him. Lord, forgive me and make me clean and make me new. I want to live for You. In Jesus' name, amen. When life doesn't add up, look up. I'll leave you with that. Lord willing, we'll be back together next week. May God bless you. Thank you all for being here. Take care. See you next time.